0: Well, what upcoming dates are on your mind right now? There are, of course, dates we all hold in common here in the U.S. Every December 25th, Christmas Day rolls around. So by my calculations, that's 133 days away, FYI. For those of us who live in Virginia, this November 2nd is Election Day, a day we'll vote on a new governor for our state. So I'm sure November 2nd is a date that's consuming the minds of Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin, the nominees. Everything they're doing right now is geared to November 2nd. For the sports fans among us, NFL opening day is coming up on September 9th, the same day the women's Bible study starts. It's good good The Bible study's in the morning, am I right? It's time to gear up for another disappointing season here in the D.C. area. These are general dates in our cultural calendar, but what about your personal calendar? Maybe you're anticipating the start of school in a few days, or an upcoming job interview, or a play date for your kids, or a contractor coming to work on a problem in your house. Maybe the dates occupying your mind are uncertain, dates you hope will happen at some point, perhaps the day you get married or the day you retire. Well, for every one of us, there is a date coming up on the cosmic calendar that we'll all show up for. It'll be mandatory. No one will be able to say they're too busy or too tired to attend. And that day is the return of Christ. So Martin Luther once said, I have two days on my calendar. This day and that day. Luther wanted to live faithfully in the present day as he kept his eyes fixed on the final day. And if you think about it, that's a pretty wise way to live. I mean, we're not assured we'll be alive even tomorrow, August 16th, 2021. Of course, it's a good thing to plan for the upcoming weeks and months and years. It's good to strategize financially and and with your schedule. But the only days we're really assured of are today, because we're breathing right now in this room, and that day. When Jesus returns, a day he has promised is going to come. So the question then is, if these are the two all-important days on our calendar, how then should we live? And Jesus tells us in our passage today in Luke chapter, 20, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, Hmm, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Summary statement for this passage for us, church family. Jesus is coming back, so don't be unprepared, but be ready. Jesus is coming back, so don't be unprepared, but be ready. That's going to be our kind of overarching theme throughout this sermon. We'll take it one sentence, one phrase at a time, as we seek to understand Jesus's words to us, the words of our king to us today. So first, first phrase, Jesus is coming back. So in the Old Testament, the prophets of Israel spoke of this coming day of the Lord, when God would come and set things right. And often this was pictured in terms of judgment. Judgment. But what the Old Testament prophets didn't understand as clearly as we do now is that the day of the Lord wouldn't come all at once. The Lord would first come, the the opening of the day of the Lord, would come in the, the person of a small baby, a vulnerable infant born in Bethlehem. Jesus would inaugurate the day of the Lord by, by the first time by coming to live the life we were meant to live. He would come to be born in human flesh like us, to be tempted and tried. Oh, the wonder, just like us. And finally, to be judged on the cross for all who would repent and trust in him. And so the day of the Lord would come at first as the Lord himself taking the judgment for sin, not judging for sin. But when Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and death and triumphantly entered heaven, he promised his disciples and he promised us he would return a second time. And that return would mark the culmination of the day of the Lord, the final judgment. And so we live now in the time leading up to that final judgment. That's the context of our lives. That's the storyline our stories are being written on even today. And our Lord, as Jerry read earlier, is patient because he desires sinners to be saved. But Jesus is on his way. He's going to come. Make no mistake about it. And he will judge the living and the dead. So look with me at verse 40 in our passage. Jesus says, You also must be ready for the Son of Man, that's Jesus' title for himself, is coming at an hour you do not expect. So that's the big truth of this passage. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, we don't know the ifs and, or the ins and outs of how it will all go down, even though we've spent hours upon hours upon hours as a church over the history of our church d- debating how it will all go down. But we know his return is imminent. And when he comes, all sin will be dealt with. This day of the Lord is the hope of the Christian. It's the hope of the creation, which waits, as Paul says in Romans 8, with groaning for Jesus to appear and and liberate it from the curse of sin. It's this second coming of Christ that gives us, as Christians right now, in all our hardship and, and trials, the ability to keep going. It's this promise of coming justice that gives peace amidst the unpunished injustices we see all around us. The king will come. And he's going to set up his kingdom and all will be made right. Church, this news is both comforting and sobering. We've been singing of it already this morning. Rejoice in glorious hope, Jesus the judge shall come and take his servants up to their eternal home. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. In those songs we see reasons both to be sobered and comforted. So as followers of Christ, how should we live in light of that day? If it's fast approaching, what difference should it make for us? Second phrase, Jesus is coming back, so don't be unprepared. See, we can read this passage, which is made up of three mini parables, as really one coin with two sides. The coin, this big idea that we've just talked about, the grand truth of this passage is that Jesus is coming back. That's the coin. The one side of the coin is warning. Warning of the potential to be caught unawares by that day. The other side, then, is assurance. Assurance of the blessing those those who are ready are going to receive. So it's important to consider both. And we begin with the warning, which is, do not be unprepared. We see this all throughout the passage. So, Look at verses 39 through 40 with me. This is the second mini parable. Jesus says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Jesus pictures his return as a thief, robbing a house. That's not to show... Jesus' character like he's somehow less than virtuous as a thief no he's showing that no homeowner just willingly lets a thief come into their house he says that's what his return is going to be like and so he urges us to not be found unprepared and there in verse 41 peter after hearing that second mini parable says lord are you telling this parable for us or for all He's asking Jesus for some clarity about who this parable is for. And Jesus doesn't give him a straightforward answer. But he does give him an indirect answer. Because in verse 42, he begins telling a parable about the manager of a house. This would be a servant with more responsibility. A steward of the master's household. So I believe in in answering Peter's question, Jesus is saying, I'm addressing this parable To all disciples. But I also think there's a special emphasis Jesus is making towards those disciples like Peter, who will be even given a more spiritual leadership role over others, like a manager of a house. What Jesus gives first is an encouragement in verse 42. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household? to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Does that remind you of anybody in the Old Testament? Reminds me of Joseph, right? Faithful in Potiphar's house. And then given, you know, responsibility over his entire house. This steward here has specific roles in caring for the master's house during his absence. And he, as he exercises those responsibilities faithfully, he's going to receive great blessing and reward when the master returns. But that's it for the encouragement. Because then comes a chilling warning beginning in verse 45. Jesus says, But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming... And begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that house, of that servant, will come on a day when he does not expect him. So the steward who neglects his care for others and forgets to look for the master's return and instead starts to abuse his authority and feed his appetites at the expense of those who look to him for guidance and provision that steward will be rudely interrupted when the master returns. His drunken stupor will grind to a speedy halt at the coming of the master. What a cure for a hangover, right? The master comes back. And he says his punishment will be swift and severe. In verse 46, the master will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. The steward will be rejected and cut off by the master. And there in verses 47 to 48 Jesus concludes by making a distinction between those who are not going to be ready for his return. Verse 47 he talks about the steward who knows the master's will but purposefully doesn't do it doesn't get ready for his return, punishment will be severe for him. But in verse 48, the person who is ignorant will still be guilty, still be deserving condemnation, but his punishment will not be as intense. We saw this kind of thing back in, I think, Luke seven, eight, or nine, one of those. Remember when he was talking about the, the, the nations, like, uh, like um, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, he talks to the nations that he's talking about, he's talking to in real time, Jesus, like Bethsaida and Chorazin, and he's saying, you've seen me, you've heard my words, and yet you haven't believed. And so if you aren't believing, well, your punishment will be worse than those who hadn't seen me at all. Sodom and Gomorrah. I think it's the same idea here. Jesus says, everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. So there's a connection between the extent to which one knows the truth and the punishment he will get for rejecting it. To whom much is given, much is required. See, church family, there's an active rest that should characterize the Christian. In Christ, we have been redeemed. Praise the Lord. We rest in His work, not ours, for our salvation. And this fact, this gospel truth, gives us eternal peace. And that peace starts right now, right when we're converted. And it goes on for eternity. And we just understand it more and more, forever. But that rest, that peace we have as Christians, is an active rest, it doesn't make us lazy. It doesn't make us nonchalant in our sin. Remember Paul's rhetorical question, should I sin more now that I've received so much grace? No, our new life in Christ fills us with desire to know him and make him known even more, to look for his return, to live in light of it. And so the faithful Christian will be one who seeks to be ready, who perseveres in his faith to the end. We see this in our statement of faith here at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, based off of a Baptist confession back in the 1850s in New Hampshire. True Christians are those who persevere to the end. It says that they have a persevering attachment to Christ. Of course, the true Christian will fall at times. Of course, we will stumble. But the mark of a true Christian is a continuous holding fast to Christ and persevering to the end. Perhaps some of you have gone through seasons of doubt and unbelief. Do I even believe in Jesus at all? Do I even believe this book is real at all? And yet, you plead with the Lord and say, I'm here, I'm persevering, please help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. I am persevering. Help me persevere. Preserve me, O oh God. This is the life of the Christian, to be ready, to be firm in faith, even as we recognize our weakness. But church, we must not empty this warning from Jesus of its power, For those of us who claim to be Christians, we must ask ourselves, are we living like this? Are we living like Jesus is our hope? Are we living like he's coming back? Or are we so weighed down by the pursuits of this life that we have begun to care only for ourselves and neglect any thought as of to his return? I think verse 45 is telling and insightful for us. Because notice how all of this starts For the steward, this unfaithful steward. It all starts in his heart. He begins to doubt in his heart and wonder if his master is going to be delayed just maybe continuously, maybe a lot longer than he planned on. And as he nurses that thought, urgency becomes less and laziness becomes more powerful. And he becomes less concerned with the penalty for his wickedness and more occupied with practicing it while he can. Practicing it while the master's away. Getting it all in. Sowing his wild oats. I think that can be a danger for every Christian. Including myself and probably mostly including myself because I know myself better than you do. See, living as if there's an ongoing delay in Jesus' return May very well encourage us to give our sin a little longer of a leash. Because we got time. There'll be time to address our shortcomings before Judgment Day, right? He's not coming back yet. Friend, that line of thinking ends in death. Living in light of the Master's return does not mean coddling sin, but proactively pursuing holiness and then cutting off the sin. That will kill us. That is what it looks like to be ready. And for those of us who are leaders, maybe in our homes, I think especially in the church, we have responsibility for the spiritual health of others. And so I think the, the urgency in this matter is even heightened for us. Readiness here is pictured, look at this this third parable, readiness here in this chief steward is pictured in part by his care for others. Others who are going to look to him for leadership and provision. So think about it. How terrible would it be if those under our charge, those of us who have spiritual leadership, were less than prepared because we had started to feed our appetites instead of looking to their needs. Because we had begun to use our authority as a way to abuse them rather than serve them. We see this temptation all throughout the church. Stories come up all the time. This is a a great warning for the Christian leader. It's also a great warning for the disciple in general. Unpreparedness for the so-called disciple of Christ will look like this. It'll look like self-centeredness. It'll look like lack of care for others. And it'll look like complete surrender to appetites, to feeding ourselves, to living for the moment, and nothing more. It's like living as if Jesus isn't coming back. It's living like he's actually still dead in the tomb. And like our lives are ours to live. It's like the rich fool we saw back in verse 19. who said, relax, eat, drink, be merry. I've secured my life. I see all my possessions. They're in big barns. I'm ready to go. I can put up my feet. Of course, Christians can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But we do so with an eye towards the final day when we're going to be truly relaxed. Truly Merry. We live for that day. And so as we enjoy the the gifts of food and drink and merriment in this life, we enjoy those blessings with gratitude to the king who is returning. And we steward those gifts to his end. So there's a warning here for us, church. Let Let us not be unprepared, lest we be found faithless, unbelieving, And even ultimately, condemned. Now, hold on. Condemned? Aren't these disciples Jesus is talking to? How can we be Christians, but condemned in the end? Can we lose our salvation if we're not ready enough? Well, certainly these are disciples. But remember, one of them is Judas. So it's clear that merely identifying yourself as a disciple doesn't mean you are one. So let me be clear. Being a Christian is not due to anything you have done. Only Jesus and the mercy of his forgiveness can save you. That is your assurance. 100%. But once you are redeemed by the blood of Christ, the new life you have is a life Where you cling to Christ, where you seek him, where you worship him, where you find he is your only hope. That's how this new life works. As Christians in Christ, we fix our eyes on his return. We long for it. Again, of course we struggle. We battle against sin over and over again, almost daily. We just see how needy and weak we are but we persevere and we understand the necessity like we saw last week of seeking his kingdom first. Because if we don't, if we consistently make it a habit to fill our hearts with the pleasures of this world only, if we neglect love for Christ and expectation for the life he's bringing, we will find ourselves in grave danger. Friend, if you... If it turns out you have lived your life with no real desire for Christ at all and your hope is in yourself, not in him, you very well may be found to never have been saved in the first place. Christian, if you are in Christ, you cannot lose your salvation because you did not earn your salvation to begin with. It's not yours to lose. Christ will hold you fast as we sing often. But throughout Scripture, and what I think we see in this passage, is that there is a very real possibility you can think you're a Christian when you're just in it for the status or the community or the good feels, not the Savior. So Christian, every Christian in this room, let's be careful to cling to Christ Especially if you're familiar with the Bible and the church, be careful to cling to Christ. Not mere tradition, not mere emotion. Make him your only hope. I don't say this to make you unnecessarily fearful, especially those of you whose conscience is often disturbed by this idea. But I do say it to make each one of you careful. As some have put it before, this message should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted among us. And so my desire as a pastor is that for the sheep of this church who feel constantly afflicted, like they don't love Jesus enough, that they they just don't measure up, but they, they want to, that you be comforted in this text. But for those of you who just kind of go along for the ride and don't really live at all like Jesus' return is going to happen, that some affliction would be going on in your conscience and that you would turn again to Christ. Friend, if you're here with us this morning and you're not a Christian, we want you to know that Jesus is our only confidence in that final judgment day. Before God the judge, every Christian in this room finds that our sin condemns us. The thoughts of our hearts, gosh, you don't want to see them. The desires of our minds, we're disturbed by our own minds. The deep rebellion of our souls, it hurts us. These things are evident to us. We are obvious sinners. And we don't have any hope unless someone steps in and takes the judgment for us. And that's what Jesus has done. So, friend, if you'll lay down your pride and repent of your sin, placing your trust in Jesus' work on your behalf, you're going to get saved. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me. You can talk to uh, Jack, or other elder at the piano, or anybody else who's up here singing or reading scripture. We'd love to talk to you about finding trust and faith and rest in Christ alone. All right, well, final phrase then in our big idea for this sermon. Jesus is coming back, so don't be unprepared, but be ready. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Jesus says, stay dressed. Literally, gird up your loins. So men would have these long flowing garments. Not easy to run in. Gird them up. Pull them up. Get ready for action. It's reminiscent of the Jews back in Exodus 12 as the plague of death descended on Egypt and the firstborns were going to be killed. Remember this? Remember how they ate the Passover meal? With haste dressed for action, ready for God's deliverance, finding their hope in the blood of the lamb that they had spilled on their doorposts to turn away the wrath of God. That's us right now, Christian church. Judgment is coming again at the return of Christ. And we must be ready. We must stay dressed for action, for God's deliverance, and find our hope in the blood of the Lamb that wasn't shed just on doorposts, but on the cross. Jesus says, stay dressed, Christian. Next, keep your lamps burning. This has the idea of, of nighttime. Basically, be ready 24 hours a day. Even in the darkness of night, be ready. It's like You parents of teenagers, or used to have teenagers, and they would be out a little way too late, and so you'd kind of leave the porch open, and the front door cracked a little bit, and you'd be snoozing on the couch, but one ear ready for the squeak of the door opening, because as a loving parent, you were expectantly awaiting their arrival, even in the dark of night. So it is with the return of Christ, and the Christian who is ready. Church, how can we know we're ready? I think a simple answer to know you're ready is if you're waiting. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And then this is one of the most shocking verses in our text. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service. We dressed for action, he's dressing for service. And he will have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. What a wonderful picture. And I think this picture kind of encapsulates two big ideas. One is that Jesus came to be served, or to serve, not to be served, right? He came as a servant. But I think another, even more broad idea that is referenced here is the heavenly banquet that will come at the return of Christ. The one Jesus is inviting us to, filling us with joy and happiness around his table in his kingdom. What a day to get ready for. I mean, just like you'd prepare for a Thanksgiving dinner, prepare for Jesus' return because he's going to give you a fabulous feast. In verse 38, We see again the uncertainty of this day. Jesus says if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. In other words, could be the second watch, could be the third watch. We don't know. Could be any time. But we prepare for it with hope. We live in light of that day. So Christian, are you ready? The ready Christian is one who cares for others, unlike that unfaithful steward. The ready Christian is one who disciplines his heart in love for Christ. The ready Christian is one who pursues holiness and fights sin. Why? Because being ready means living now like we're going to live then. Being ready means living now like we'll live when Jesus gets back. It means growing our affection for him and our rest in him. It means living faithfully before his face now so that when his face appears, then we'll be ready. We'll have been living like that as best we can anyway. That day means everything for this day. So Christian, are you living today like Jesus may come back tomorrow? Are you speaking of him to others are you pursuing reconciliation and repentance are you cultivating a love for jesus in your heart church the return of christ is like a pair of prescription glasses for our spiritual vision focusing us on what truly matters so when we realize when i realize that we have gone days or weeks without considering the return of Christ. When we've begun to coast in the pleasures of life, like that unfaithful steward, or we become overwhelmed with the cares of life, let's call one another to wake up, to remember that that day is coming. That day and this day, the two most important days on our calendar, the two days we are assured And that day breathes meaning and clarity into this day. We live now, August 15th, 2021, in light of what will come next. So friends, in light of this, I'm sure you can see how valuable it is to be part of a local church, right? Being part of a church means you have committed yourself to growing in holiness and love with others. Being part of a church means you are up for revealing your heart to trusted brothers and sisters so they can testify to the fruit of your faith or rebuke you in your sin or just encourage you to keep waiting. Being part of a church means sharing the Lord's Supper, as we'll do in a few minutes, which is a sneak peek into the great heavenly banquet the King is bringing to us so let's link arms with each other as a church and let's stay ready together let's pray lord we want to live like we believe all this is true because if it isn't then where is our hope in this life only may it never be May we hold fast to the truth that you are returning, and as we hold fast to it, may we live in light of it. Spirit, work this conviction deep down into our hearts as we sing now and then share the supper together. In Jesus' name, amen.